0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, I want to run a scenario by you this morning, and uh, you can be honest with me and and, uh, tell me that you can relate or you can pretend that this doesn't happen. But guys, how many of you go to look for something sometimes um, and you can't find it and you have to ask your wife where it's at? and she tells you where it's at, and you still can't find it. In our house, it usually goes something like this, where like I'm in the fridge, for example, and I'm looking for like the Parmesan cheese, and I'm like, Devin, where is the Parmesan cheese? And she's like, it's right there in front of your face, and I'm like, no, it's not. It's like, well, it's in the side drawer, and then I look in the side drawer, and it's a labyrinth of condiments and spices, and I'm like, get it's not there. And she says, no, it's right next to the barbecue sauce. So I'm looking. I'm like, we got three kinds of barbecue sauce. Which one? Where is it at? And I'm looking. at it And for what seems like an eternity, and finally she gets frustrated. She goes, <laughs> right there. I'm like, come on. It was right in front of my face the whole time. Can anybody relate? Guys, okay. All right. Sometimes you just don't see it. It's right in front of your face. And then there's like that one time out of every 10 where she comes and she can't find it. And you're like, yes. <laughs> right? Sometimes she asked me to go find things in her purse, and I don't even attempt that anymore. Early in our marriage, I did. You know, I'd go, like, I'd have to go in, I'd, like, get some gum or a wallet, or, and there's, like, there, there's pockets and portals to other dimensions, and I don't, even, I don't even attempt it. I'm wise enough now in my 20 years of being married to I just say, Devin, give me a piece of gum out of your purse, because I know I'm never going to find it, and I'll get lost in there. So, so I'm glad that you can relate with me this morning, that sometimes you're looking for something, and it just is right there in front of your nose, and it's the most frustrating experience Maybe not the most frustrating, but it's it's frustrating. You can't find it, and it's right there, and someone just points it right out to you, and you're like, ah, how did I not see that? It's right there the entire time. I want you to hold on to that thought for a little bit this morning, okay? Just hold on to that thought. You know, guys, this year has been tough, hasn't it? But I think that, you know, and we've all seen the memes about 2020 and, you know, how bad it is, and it's funny, and we laugh at them, and, you know, but, but it has. It's been... A Tough year, and I think people are looking at this Christmas and they're, they're looking at it maybe as a form of escapism a little bit, maybe, maybe it's just a way of saying, You know, uh, I, we want this Christmas to be a bright spot and to be a hopeful spot in, in this really tough year. You know, I was looking at a, I was watching the news and they were talking, interviewing a tree farmer and uh, that does Christmas tree farming, and they were talking about how this has been the best year for Christmas trees in, in 30 years. And Christmas trees were just flying off the lot. And um, I think and, and he attributed it to the fact that people want this Christmas to be even more special than, than even Christmases in the past. And I know that there's a local radio station that was playing Christmas music back in July because people were down, you know, because of COVID and, and uh, you know, all the things that were happening politically in our nation. And they just wanted people to be up a little bit. And so they played Christmas music. But I think that's kind of pervading us, that idea that, Um, You know, we want Christmas to be special this year because, I mean, let's face it, 2020 has taken its toll on all of us. My question for you this morning is, how are you looking at this Christmas? Do you have hope and anticipation, or are you dreading Christmas this year? Are you saying to yourself, oh, 2020, here we go again. wonder what this Christmas is going to bring. No doubt this Christmas is going to probably be different for a lot of us. With COVID numbers high and many people in quarantine, not all of us We'll have the ability to get together with family and friends the way that we normally would, and traditions that maybe have stood for many years will most likely be disrupted. Opening presents will be done sometimes over FaceTime, and the table where we eat our Christmas dinner could be a little more empty this year than it ever has been in the past. So as I say that, I realize that there's most definitely reasons to be down this Christmas, and there's a lot of circumstances in this year that have been outside of our control But can I give you a piece of advice during this Christmas season this morning? Don't focus on the things you can't control. We're really good as humans at focusing on the things that we can't control. Because maybe you're finding yourself in a situation this morning that a year ago, you never would have dreamed that you'd be finding yourself in. And you've focused on that so much, on that thing that you can't control, that it's got you down. Don't focus on those things. Spend your time rather focusing on the things that you can control. Because even when there's worlds going crazy around you, there's still things that you have that you can control. I love this quote by Charles Swindoll. It's one of my favorites. If I've read it before, I don't apologize because it's so good. It's worth reading a lot. And I think they're going to have it up in there on the screen for us, so you can kind of follow along with me as I read it. Charles Swindoll came up with this years ago, and it says this: The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It's more important than the past than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than success, than what other people think, say, or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It'll make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we're gonna embrace for that day. We can't change our past. We can't change the fact that people act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string, that we have and that's our attitude I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it and so it is with us we are in charge of our attitudes can someone say an amen, amen. to that quote amen we are in charge of our attitude there's things that we can control and we can always control our attitude and our attitude has such an impact on the way that we perceive what's going on around us it's almost kind of like a cyclical thing so, my question this morning, and I want you to respond to this. Are you ready for it? I got a question for you. I need you to respond. Going into Christmas of 2020, are you gonna let it the, get it the best of you? Or are you gonna have the best Christmas ever? Yes. Christmas yeah, ever. Well, I'm so glad you said that. You know why? Because if you said no, then I don't have anything else to preach and we just go home. So thank you for saying that. Yes, best Christmas. Let's have the best Christmas. Christmas ever. Forget 2020 and what it's represented and what it's done. Let's make 20 let's end 2020 the best way we can and have the absolute best Christmas ever. Are you with me this morning? Awesome. Well, let's talk about how we're going to do that. This morning, I want to explore and take a look at Christmas through the eyes of a cast of characters that lived in the first century A.D. Now, these are characters that you, whether even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably know who most of them are, because if you've ever heard the Christmas story, the true Christmas story, then you probably know a little bit about each one of these characters. Um, and, And I may be even introducing one or two that maybe you haven't heard of, or maybe you're a little less known to the story. But I want to look through their eyes this morning And let them share with us how we can have the best Christmas ever. So the first thing I need you to do this morning is turn to Luke chapter 2. And I got a couple of pretty long passages today, and that's just because I need to share the entire story with you. Uh, But Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Luke 2, 25 through 35. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. Um, But obviously, you're free to use whatever translation of the Bible you have. Or if you pull it up on your app, you can choose the New Living Translation so that you'll be right right in step with me. Luke 2, starting at verse 25. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple... When Mary and Joseph came in to present the baby Jesus to to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praising God, and said, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised me. I've seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very own soul. So, Simeon may be one of those characters that may be a little less known to you, and he's probably not usually associated with the Christmas story, but he would have been there right around that time because there was a short amount of time in which there was a cleansing, and then they would have brought Jesus to the temple as as an infant to have him dedicated to the Lord. Um, But What's incredible about Simeon, and we don't know a ton about Simeon, I mean, we're just, but we're given a few little details. We know that he was living in anticipation of the Messiah. See, Simeon was a Jew, and the Jews believed that there was a Savior coming To save their nation because it had been prophesied years and years ago by the prophets Isaiah and and actually all through the Old Testament really Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had prophesied the Savior was going to come and and he was going to be the Messiah and he was going to be the ruler that would establish Israel's reign on the earth forever, right? Like their, their superpoweredness or so that's what they thought. And so... Simeon was one of those individuals looking for the Messiah. We know that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he recognized Jesus immediately when he was brought into the temple. After he meets the baby Jesus, we know that Simeon takes him in his arms, and he starts speaking prophetically about him. But what does Simeon teach us about having the best Christmas ever? I think the first key that we need to understand if we're going to have the best Christmas ever is that we need to practice obedience. We need to practice obedience. If you look back in that story in Luke 2, 27, Uh, A, in that part of the verse, it says, Simeon, guided by the Spirit, entered the temple complex. It wasn't just Simeon's idea to go for a walk, and he happened into the temple that day. Simeon was guided by the Holy Spirit. And you know what's unique about Simeon? as I kind of looked at his story and studied him a little bit, this was a period of time where there had been 400 years of silence. Like God hadn't spoken to the, Israel, the Israelites in 400 years. There had been no prophets. There were no, priests, but they weren't hearing from God. And, and here's Simeon. And it said that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, mind you, the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. The Holy Spirit would come upon people, and Simeon was one of these unique individuals who the Holy Spirit came upon in in the way that we experience the Holy Spirit today, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do, and the Holy Spirit guided him to the temple that day. Think about this. If Simeon had not obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit that day, he might have missed his encounter with Jesus. Think about if Simeon would have got up a little bit late and missed his coffee, or maybe he didn't have his breakfast and his morning routine would have got messed up and he just said, ah, forget it. You know, I'm not, just forget it. My, day, my day's shot already. Or maybe he would, on his, would have been on his way to the temple and someone cut him off in traffic and he just said, you know what, forget it. And he got so mad and he just, you know, I, whatever. I'm not gonna listen today. And he just kind of shut the Holy Spirit. Think about what would have happened if he would have not listened to the Holy Spirit. He would have missed the most incredible meeting of his life. He would have missed the Savior of the world and his opportunity to see him. But he didn't. He didn't. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 7.23 says this. And this is the prophet Jeremiah speaking for God to God's people. Are you God's people this morning? Good. I believe this applies to you. But this thing I did command them, listen and obey my voice. Listen and obey my voice. Catch that. And I'll be your God, and you shall be my people. And you'll walk in all the way which I have commanded you so that it may be well With you, so that it may be well with you. So, God in this verse is telling Jeremiah to tell his people, listen and obey my voice. Because guess what? You listen and obey my voice, it will be well with you. When we're obedient to the Holy Spirit, it is well with us. When we're obedient to God's word, it is well with us. How many know that God created our DNA? He's got the blueprint for humanity, and He knows how our lives will function the best. And guess what? Some people look at the Word of God in the Bible and they look at the commands, and I used to hear things like, ah, oh, you Christians, it's such a boring life because you have all these don'ts. You know, the Bible's got all these don'ts, all these commands that you have to listen to, and they're just, it's don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do... How many know that God didn't put those commands in the Bible for His benefit? They're for our benefit. Let me give an example this morning. You take a look at the commandment, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Do you think it, 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 it's any... Um, skin off of God's, God's teeth, if, if, we don't, if, we covet, if we don't covet or we covet our neighbor's stuff, it doesn't really, um, doesn't really make a difference to God. It doesn't change the way he functions. But to us, it makes a big difference because if we start coveting our neighbor's stuff, then we're living in a place where we're not fulfilled because we're always wanting something that we can't have. We're always living in a place of, then we start living in a place of greed and we start living in a place of idolatry and all of a sudden we've spun out of control. The commands that God gives us in the word first and foremost are for our benefit and if we will be obedient to those commands it will be well with us how many know that God is a good father and if any of you are parents out there you understand sometimes that your children don't quite have a full understanding of life and so sometimes you need to give them guidelines to live by so that they can live the best way that because because we want the best for them don't we parents as parents we want the best for our kids And so we give them these things. We say, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that. And for them, it probably sounds like rules, rules, rules. And most of us, if we can remember being kids, that's exactly how it felt. But parents know what's best. Makes me think of, there was a time back in the day when, um, whether, whether loofahs were, like, invented at the time, I don't know, okay? But... I remember it was like, I was growing up, and there was kind of two, two options you had with the shower. You either had just the bar of soap, that you'd use the bar of soap, or you had the washcloth, right? Those were your two options. But then, I think, I don't know house. I think it was at my grandma's house or something, I was taking a shower, and there's this thing there, and I put the soap on it, and it multiplied the soap, and there were suds everywhere, and I'm like, this is the best thing in the world! I didn't know what it was called, you know? I didn't know it was a loofah at the time, and so... Uh, my dad and I go into to Walmart, and we're looking around Walmart, and we go into the kitchen aisle, um, and, and there's a loofah hanging in the kitchen aisle, and that should have that tipped me off, but my teenage brain wasn't fully developed, so I quite probably didn't understand it at the time, um, but in the kitchen aisle, here's a loofah, and I'm like, dad, dad, this thing, you put soap on it, it multiplies the soap, it exfoliates your skin, it's amazing, and my dad looks at it, and he's like, Jared, that's to scrub pots and pans. I'm like, No. No, this is, I use one of these at grandma's house. It's amazing. You can't even, it was the best thing ever. It was like the best shower I ever had in my life. He's like, no, it's for pots and pans. It says right there on the label. And I was like, no, no, no. So back and forth. I mean, this, this conversation went on way longer than it should have. Uh, but I was stubborn on this because, I mean, if it's the best shower of your life, you want to experience the best shower of your life every day of the week, right? So uh, finally, he just, it was two bucks. So he's like, whatever, just get it, fine. So <laughs> we get it. And the next day, I wake up, all excited to take my shower before school, and I wake up and, <laughs> and I lost probably four or five layers of skin in my arm. And I said, what the heck is going on with this thing? And uh, I, I realized in that moment, I did not tell him that he was right, but Dad was right. Okay, he's probably watching this morning, so Dad, sorry, you were right on the loop. That wasn't a loofah, it was a pot scrubber, you're right. Um, but in that, it was just one of those realizations that I didn't have all the answers. And I, my dad knew what was going on. I should have listened to him. It would have saved me four or five layers of epidermis. But, you know, here we are, and, and I'm the wiser for it. Um, God is a good father, and he has good things for his kids. And he wants the best. And so when he gives us guidelines and commands in the word for us to be obedient to, it's for our benefit. And if we're going to have the best Christmas ever, the word is a great place To start, to do what it says is going to be a great place to start. But it's not just about the written word of God, which sometimes we call the logos. It's also about something we call the rhema or the spirit of God and being obedient to the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Simeon was doing. He was being obedient to the spirit of God because there's the written word of God that gives us commands. And then there's the voice of the Holy Spirit in Galatians that tells us to keep in step with the spirit of God. That means that, you know, if you think about keeping in step, I talked about this in my class on Wednesday night. When you talk about keeping in step, I use the example when I was in band back in high school. I was a, I was a trombone player, and we would march in band. And so, you know, when you were, you were in a line, in a row of people like parade marching and you had your horn kind of up like this and you would step like this. This is my marching band walk. Ooh, I'm not very good at it anymore. But you'd step like this and as you were stepping, you wanted to be in step with everybody in your line or it'd look bad. And so you'd look out of the peripherals of the corners of your eye and if you see that you're out of step, you would kind of stutter step and you'd get yourself back in sync with the rest of your line, right? Keeping in step with the Spirit. You watch where the Spirit goes and where the Spirit goes you follow you keep in step with the holy spirit and let me tell you something when you keep in step with the holy spirit the holy spirit will lead you on an adventure and if you've ever been there you know exactly what i'm talking about the holy spirit has taken me places i never dreamed i would go i mean literally nations around the world following the holy spirit it's it's taken me to the, the it he has taken me to places I never thought I would go. He's given me opportunities I never thought I would have. I've been allowed to see things in my life that I never thought possible, and there's many more ahead, because I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. It's an exciting life. I wanted to share a story with you this morning in a way of illustrating this. Um, there was a, share, a story that was shared to me shared, by, shared to me from an individual in our congregation. Uh, Mr. Mike Forbes, who is, he's since passed on, and he's with Jesus now, and, and <laughs> you want to talk about God, he's probably, who is having his best Christmas ever in a new body with the King of Kings, it's him, uh, but shortly before he passed away back in the spring, he uh, he asked me to come out for lunch, and, and uh, I was out there that day, and we were having a great lunch, and um, Mike at that time was suffering from a lung condition where he could hardly breathe, and it was really, he'd been suffering for this, with this for a couple of years, and it was just in a very hard place, but Mike always had such a great attitude. If you ever talked with Mike, he just had an amazing attitude, and Denise had an amazing attitude, and Denise uh, was very gracious in allowing me to share this story with you this morning, but uh, Mike, in the middle of our conversation, said, oh, you gotta see this, I gotta show this to you, and he shared this story that his daughter posted on Facebook, and I wanna read the Facebook post for you. Um, his daughter, Amber, was working in Springfield, Missouri, and I want to read you this post, this, this experience that she had. She says, in this post, My day. Today a lady came to where I worked. She was wearing oxygen on her face, and she said she wasn't feeling well today and may need some help out. So as, I, as we started talking, she said to me, I'm 42 years old. I got diagnosed in 2009 with this autoimmune disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Denise, is that what Mike had? Yeah, okay. So she had the same disease that Mike had. Um, and it's like bricks are on my chest. I'm dying. As she started to turn, she grabbed my hand, and she says, Honey, is your daddy sick? Is his name Mike? I said, How did you know that? Do you know me or my family? She grinned and said, The Holy Spirit's amazing, and Jesus knows your daddy. And I started to cry. She said, Please don't cry. I, know that he's, I just want you to know he's being prayed for, and he has an army of angels surrounding him. And she goes on to say, My little heart couldn't help but cry. She walked away. The next lady in line asked, how did she know? Who is this Holy Spirit? So we had a little talk, and she, and we, and I, she shared her phone number. I love my, go- my job and where God placed me. When you're in step with the Holy Spirit, he will take you to incredible places when you're obedient. You want to have the best Christmas ever. How many of you like to be used like that lady was used? Oh, man, I love that. I want to be used that way when you are obedient to the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, when you're keeping in step with him, trust me, you will have the best Christmas ever because he is going to lead you into places you never thought possible and do things through you that you didn't think were possible. Being obedient, that's our first key to having the best Christmas ever. The next one is found in Luke, same chapter, chapter two, verses eight through 20. And I'm gonna, we're gonna lead, read a story that's probably familiar to a lot of you. If you've ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas story, Special, you know this story. And if you've never seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you absolutely need to watch it because this part's the best. It says this That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them Don't be afraid, he said. I bring good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in the city of Bethlehem in the city of David. And this is how you'll recognize him. You'll find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. They ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. Then the shepherds told everybody what had happened, and the angel had said to them and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them, because that day they had seen the child just as the angels had said. There's a group of shepherds, a second cast of characters that we can learn from this morning. They were actually kind of outcasts in society. Shepherds really weren't highly thought of, which is interesting that the angels would choose to bring the message to this lowly group of individuals. But they see this incredible vision of heaven, the angels singing, and they decide to go find out for themselves what was going on with this child. When they find the manger, they share the story with Mary and Joseph, but It's what they did next that is our second key to having the best Christmas ever, and it's found in verse 20. Let me read it for you again. It says, They returned glorifying and praising God. To have the best Christmas ever, not only do we need to practice obedience, but we need to practice praise. We need to practice praise. Isaiah 61.3 says this. This is actually a verse that Jesus read when he was talking about his ministry. And um, he says this, To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of praise instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. That's the verse we really want to focus on, or the part of the verse. The cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This verse in Isaiah shows us that praise is actually the cure for a depressed spirit. How many know there's some depressed spirits in 2020? That need to have a little bit pray more praise on their lips. And I'm talking not just about unbelievers, I'm talking about believers in 2020. The cloak of praise, instead of a disheartened spirit, sometimes it says, instead of a depressed spirit." So the cloak of praise stands in opposition to depressed and depression, the cloak of praise. And how many of you know there's a lot of truth to that saying? Yeah? This verse shows us that praise is the cure for depressed spirit, and if 2020 is getting you down, maybe we need to find some praise. But, but why, why praise? What, why do we praise? Well, praise glorifies God, and it doesn't glorify our circumstances. See, there's something about us and the way that we were created that whatever we spend our mental energy focusing on and whatever we talk about tends to be what gets down into our heart and tends to chart our course, so to speak. So when you're praising God, your focus is on the Lord and his goodness, And his attributes and how awesome he is but when you're thinking about your circumstances all the time and you're watching news 24 hours a day and you're talking with people about how bad things are guess what you're praising you're not praising God you're praising your problems and if you continue to praise your problems and you don't praise the Lord and I'm not talking about denying reality I'm not talking about minimizing what's happening I'm talking about getting yourself in the right perspective So that you see the events they're still there but you're seeing them the right way so they don't take you out you don't find yourself heaped down into a heap of depression because you're looking around at all the junk and you're allowing it to soak into your heart so that when it gets in your heart it just comes out of you i'm talking about looking at god praising him and what does that look like to praise god well it's rehearsing his attributes his characteristics let me give you an example. You know, if you're, in a, if you're a person and you've got bills coming and you don't have the money to pay the bills, praise might look a little something like this. You might go into praise saying, Lord, I want to thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. And a lot of you don't know what that means. That just means that God is my provider. God, you're my provider. And Lord, I want to thank you for that one time in the Old Testament where there was those people in the, the desert, those Israelites for 40 years. And for 40 years... Every single day, you provided water for them, you provided food for them, you miraculously kept their clothes from wearing out for 40 years, God, you provided for them. Lord, I want to thank you for that one time in the New Testament when Peter needed money for the temple taxes, and you told him to go fishing, and when he did, he pulled up a fish, and it had a coin in his mouth, and he could do it. Lord, you are a provider, and I want to thank you for providing. God, I want to thank you for that one time with Elisha and the widow, and she she needed to uh, pay her bills, and you caused oil to keep coming and coming and coming and coming until she had enough money to pay your bills, and even money left over. God, you are my provider. I'll tell you what, when you start focusing on God as your provider, and you get to the end of that, your bills don't look quite as intimidating as they did before you started praising. Praise on your lips. The higher your level of praise, the higher higher your level of praise to God, the higher your level of faith. The higher level and importance that you put on the circumstances that you're in, it's going to deplete your faith. And you'll see that happen. You'll see that flesh out in your life as you put that into practice. Praise is just, it's an exercise of faith because you don't see it, but you're asking God for it and you're praising Him for who He is and what He's done. And even so much so that, like when they came into the, uh, or uh, let me say it this way, when Jesus taught us how to pray, one of the, one of the things He said is, um, Our Father who is in heaven, okay, again, putting us in that right mind frame, God is in heaven, He's above our circumstances. Holy is your name. What's one of the first things he does? He shifts our perspective from earth to heaven, so we're in the right mind frame, and then he focuses on an attribute of God, his holiness. When you go into prayer, one of the things I like to practice is I practice putting praise at the beginning of my prayer because my prayers are totally different if I praise God at the beginning than if I just go into prayer and ask God for what I need right off the bat. i got to frame my mind right, and that doesn't just apply to prayer. That applies to our entire lives. It frames our minds the way it should be. It's exercising faith. It's the opposite. Praise is the opposite of cursing. And so, you know, sometimes we find it easy to curse things in our lives that don't work. And and let me tell you, I was convicted because when I was preparing, I had prepared this message and it was ready. It was in the hopper. And I had days to think about it a little bit And kind of rehearse it in my heart And um, I had this new iPhone And for some reason, my new iPhone When I've got my text message app open And I have a conversation open And I just turn my phone off And I don't go out of my messages I don't get text messages from those people Or like, I get them, but I don't get a notification And it drives me up a wall And I remember, I was saying, I was like Friday, I was like, this stupid phone I think I even texted it to my wife, stupid phone And, uh, and I caught myself then after that I was like, you know what? This phone is not stupid. I'm not cursing my phone. This phone is great. God gave it to me, and I'm going to praise God for having it. It puts you in a different mind frame, doesn't it, when you praise God for those things? There was a time back in, um, oh, geez, I can't even remember what the year was, but I remember this time when I I was living in South Dakota at the time, and my parents had, um, through a series of circumstances that were actually really cool, and maybe I've told that story, or maybe I'll tell it again, but my parents had given me a car. It was a Honda Accord, 1991, and um, I loved that car. I mean, it wasn't flashy. It wasn't fancy. You know, the time I had it, it was already probably 10 plus years old, and I remember sitting at a stoplight one day, getting ready to turn left onto one of the main roads in in Sioux Falls, and I remember the spirit of praise just hit me, and I remember just in in my, I didn't say it out loud, but in my heart, I was like, God, thank you for this car. You know, it's not flashy. It's not great, Um, but I love it you know I love this car I like the way it rides I like where it gets me and what it does for me and I'm I'm just rehearsing that praise in my mind and I was saying thank you Lord and um don't get me wrong I spend plenty of time cursing my cars and I I try not to but this is one of those times when I was praising God for my car and I said thank you Lord and no longer had that thought I promise you this is exactly what happened no longer had that thought left my mind then all of a sudden I was getting through the intersection and all my electronics went dead my engine kept going And I heard a belt squeak, and I was like, oh, boy, you know, here we go. And then all of a sudden, everything came back on, and I was like, ha, praise, you know? I was like, ha, ha, it's not the end of the story. Uh, So I get about a quarter mile down the road, and smoke starts rolling out of my hood, and my electronics go dead again, and I was able to pull into a gas station. Uh, I just happened to be driving by one, so I pulled into a gas station, and uh, smoke's still rolling out of my hood, and I popped the hood, and I pulled it up, and... uh, And like, I I could see that I looked where, because the smoking was coming from a belt on the side of my engine. And I looked at it, and as I'm looking at it, it literally burst into flames. And I did one of these where I was like, ah! You know, like, ah, freaked me out. And so calmly... Um, I went to the garbage, and I, I grabbed, there was a cup in the garbage, which is kind of gross, I know, but um, I, this was before COVID, so it wasn't as weird. Uh, I grabbed a cup, and then I went to the, the place where you get the windshield washer fluid, you know, and I dipped it in there, and I just went, I put the fire out fairly calmly, and um, called AAA and got them to tow it to my mechanic, and in the middle of that, I think a lot of days, that would have wrecked me. That would have just ruined my day. I would have been really upset. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, I was not upset. I think God had put that spirit of praise on me in that moment so that I could look at that conversation, that situation, and I almost laughed at the irony of it because I'm praising God in one, one breath, and here I am with a broken, for an awesome car, and then my car's completely on, I'm literally on fire the next, you know, but, but it didn't bother me, and it didn't hit me, and I just kept thinking, God, thank you so much. It could be so much worse. This car could be a Ford. It's not, <laughs> I did say that. I didn't think that but it put me in the right mind frame. Don't curse the things around you that God has given you. Praise God for giving you things. Praise God for the things God and the, the people that God's put in your life. If you're living in an attitude of praise, then your faith is gonna be high and your circumstances are gonna be low and you're gonna be living in this place where you're framed so well that you can walk through things without it, like Superman walking through a parade of bullets and they just bounce off of you because with praise on your lips, it's like God giving you a supernatural shield for some of those things. So let praise be on your lips. Be like the shepherds who just went out and they, they praised God and told everybody that they knew about Jesus and, what, and who he was. Be like that. It's okay to tell God about your problems in prayer, but we probably should spend equally as much time telling our problems about who our God is. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Look at your problem and tell Him who your God is and how big your God is and Attributes, 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 how big your God is. So we know that we need to live in obedience to have the best Christmas ever. We've got to have praise on our lips and practice praise to have the best Christmas ever. Let's look at Matthew chapter two, verses ten through twelve, and we're gonna learn from a group of people who the Bible calls the wise men about what it means to have the best Christmas ever. Matthew chapter two, oops, so on, Verses eight through let me make sure that's right. No, ten through twelve. 10 through 12. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I'm sorry, this, I should give you a little, little bit of background here. Um, I didn't want to read a huge long passage, so I, I condensed it to these two verses for us. Um, there was these men who were wise men who came from the east, and uh, they, they saw a star, and so they followed that star to find what they perceived to be the king of the Jews, um, who really was the king of the Jews, really king of all humanity. Um, And they went through, they they went for, actually their voyage was fairly long. And uh, when they got there, this is kind of where we pick up the story. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and they worshipped him. Then they opened the treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home a different way because they had been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. So... To have the best Christmas ever, we need to learn a little bit from the wise men this morning. And we don't know much about them, including how many they were, right? We always say that there were how many wise men? Three. There wasn't necessarily three wise men. Um, Some of us probably know that. Some of us, that might be a revelation. There might have been, we know there was at least two of them, but there could have been a big caravan of wise men. I mean, it could have been an entourage full of wise men. We don't know. Um, But we know that there were a couple of them at least, probably more. They, we know that they uh, saw a star and they followed it to the place where Jesus was. We know that when they arrived, they worshiped Jesus and did something unique to the Christmas story. and that's what I want to pick up on this morning. If you want to have the best Christmas ever, you've got to practice generosity. Generosity. You see, they were unique. They gave gifts to Jesus. Nobody else did that in the Christmas story, that first Christmas. We need to practice generosity. Hebrews 13:16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for such sacrifices, For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Don't forget to do good and to share with others. Be generous. And usually, if there's ever a time in the year when people are generous, it's usually around December. It's usually around Christmas time, right, is when people tend to be, even people that probably you know, 11 months out of the year aren't generous, they're usually generous on Christmas. Um, But if there's also a time for people to be greedy, it's around Christmas time. And there's people kind of, I think, on both ends of that, but I want to encourage you this morning to be generous. Why? Because there is an infectious joy with being generous. I don't know if you've ever been a part of being able to bless someone at Christmas time, give someone who's really deserving uh, something they couldn't otherwise get for themselves. I, it is it is fun, isn't it? You know, there was a show that happened years ago called Extreme Makeover: Home Edition. And if you didn't know, if you never watched the show, the, the basic premise is they would find this really deserving family and they would send them on vacation. And while they're on vacation, they would kind of bulldoze their house and they'd build them a brand new, beautiful house. And sometimes they would buy them cars for it or sometimes they would give them other things too. But at the end of it, at the end of the show, like you just felt so good about it. And, and it's like the world kind of caught onto this idea that if you're generous, I mean, it's, it's heaven's idea. It's God's idea. It's how he created us. You know, but they caught on to it. It's a principle. I mean, it, even though it's biblical and it's God's idea, I mean, the principle's a principle no matter where you put it. So, God, uh, or, or they, they got this idea that, hey, we should bless other people and that they would see that and, and it would give everybody joy. And you'd end the episode just blubbering in tears and you'd feel really good about yourself, right? There's an infectious joy to being generous and to giving. And it helps you to have the best Christmas ever because, for one, you're blessing somebody, but for two, Anytime you can take your eyes off of yourself and put it onto somebody else, and uh, root for their joy and their happiness, it's it's going to be infectious to you as well. Um, if you've ever experienced the rush of giving to someone in need, it just it's going to make Christmas time a time when you sit down. It's going to make Christmas time so much better. Um, this Christmas, I just want to encourage you, and I'm not going to I'm not going to camp out on this point for a long time this morning, but. I want to encourage you at this Christmas time, if you've never done it, sit down. If you have a family, sit down with your family. If you're an individual, just sit down and really seek God out. Or Maybe you already know somebody, but find somebody, a family, an individual, an organization, something or someone that you can be generous to and bless them. Bless them. Do something for them this Christmas. And I'll tell you what, man, if you have a family and you have kids, there's no better thing for them to see than to see you sit down and find a family to be generous with and then being able to see the reaction of that family when, when they get to, to see what you've given them. I mean, there's nothing like it. I, my wife and I, over, over the years, we've done several things where we've given people things at different points in time, sometimes anonymously, sometimes face-to-face, but, man, there's just nothing like the joy that comes. From making someone's life a little bit better and making their circumstances a little bit better. It gives you joy of Christmas. I mean, how many of you know as parents, even, it's fun to give your kids the gift that they really, really, really want? It's really, unless it costs way, way, way too much money, right? <laughs> um, but you, you want to give your kids the gift they want, and you get so excited as, as an adult to wait for them to open up that one gift that you know they're going to love on Christmas. That's generosity. It's that spirit of joy. It's blessing somebody else. It, it gives it makes Christmas better for them and it, we reap the benefits of it too, not just the people that are there. I'm gonna close up today, but I wanna encourage you this morning. I want you to make 2020 the best Christmas ever. And remember what I said before. There's a lot of things in this, this year and this season that we cannot control, but we can control our attitudes. We can control whether we wanna have the best Christmas ever or not. That is within our power. Nobody can take that away from us. No circumstance can take that away from us. We choose church. We choose. And let me share just I've given you a couple of things. I've given you practicing obedience to the Holy Spirit, living with an attitude of praise, being generous, to put you in the right mindset and have an amazing Christmas. But there really is one more key and, and by far the most important key in all of this. It's a common theme in the stories that I shared with you this morning. Remember at the beginning I said, I shared with you the story about looking for something that's right in front of your nose and you don't see it. There were literally hundreds of thousands of people in the area of Israel, in Jerusalem, in the nation of Israel at that time, who had been waiting a very long time for a Messiah, for a Savior to come. They knew the prophecies. They knew the Old Testament. They knew that a Savior was coming and they were waiting in anticipation for the Savior. They were waiting for this Savior to come and overthrow Rome. But they were waiting in anticipation for a Savior. And they couldn't wait for it. And they've been told about this Messiah. And they've been taught about this Messiah for, for years, since they were little kids. They've been taught that the Messiah was gonna come and liberate them and free them. Hundreds of thousands of people waiting for the Messiah. Yet, yet, only a handful of people got to see him when he came that first Christmas. Think about this. There was people in the house behind where Mary and Joseph were. There were houses around them, I'm sure. Those people literally had Jesus in their backyard. They knew there was this Messiah coming. They knew there was a Savior coming. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords was literally in their backyard, and they missed it on that way to the temple that day when Simeon saw Jesus, and, and there was another lady that I didn't get a chance to mention because of time, but her name was Anna, a prophetess, and she recognized the exact same thing that Simeon did because she stayed at the temple all the time. She stayed in the presence of God and she recognized the Messiah. When, when Mary and Joseph were on their way to the temple that day, can you imagine how many people they passed on the streets, the busy streets of Jerusalem? See, during that time, there was a census and there was a lot of extra people in, the, in, in that area at that time. There's probably hundreds of people that they passed by who had been waiting all their lives for a Messiah to come, and here he is, and they were probably literally rubbing shoulders with him, but they didn't even see him. Jesus was right in front of their faces, and they missed him, right under their noses, and they didn't see him. Who saw him? Well, the people that I mentioned this morning. Anna, Simeon, the wise men, the shepherds. What did all these guys have in common? they were looking for him. They were looking for him and they recognized him when he showed up. They were looking for Jesus in the midst of Christmas. See, the other ones, they knew there was a Messiah coming, but they weren't looking for the Messiah. They were looking for their perception, their idea of what the Messiah was gonna be. These guys were looking for Jesus and they found him. If you wanna have the best Christmas ever, if you really wanna have the best Christmas ever, look for Jesus in the middle of Christmas because I guarantee you he's there. He's there. And he wants nothing more than to connect with you and he wants nothing more than to lead you and to guide you and to speak into your life during this season. More than anything in the world he wants a relationship with you and, and some of you even, even, I'm even speaking to believers I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus even because as believers so many times we just gloss over because Israelites they knew about God but they didn't know Jesus. At least the ones that the, the other ones not the ones we talked about. As believers look for Jesus Don't let everything else, don't let the circumstances of 2020, don't let the hustle and bustle of the season, don't let anything else detract your eyes from Jesus this Christmas season. And for some of you in this place this morning, you may have never had a chance to know Jesus during Christmas. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. See, there's some of you that might have slipped in here and uh, maybe you were invited by a friend or maybe you just showed up. I don't know. Or maybe at one time you knew Jesus, but you've let that relationship just kind of go in your life. I want to give you an opportunity this morning, whether you've never had Jesus in your life, or maybe you did at one time, and you need to make a new commitment to invite him back in your life. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. See, Jesus came to earth as he emptied himself of his godhood, left heaven, and came to earth as a child so he could be what I said in my prayer, Emmanuel, which meant God with us. Because it was God's plan from the very beginning for us to have a relationship with him. But unfortunately, because humanity messed up and they sinned, that way was broken at the beginning of time. But God sent his son as a rescue plan so that we could have that relationship once again. And that relationship comes through Jesus. Not just the the baby Jesus we know in the manger. That Jesus grew up. And when he was about 33 years old, he died on a cross like a criminal. He was executed. Um, And he did it willingly. He went to that cross willingly so that his blood that was shed and that sacrifice he made would allow us to have that relationship that we could have with God again and we could have the Holy Spirit. And he makes it so easy. And in this Christmas season, there's no greater gift than you can give him than the gift that he gave us this morning where he said, all you have to do is accept my sacrifice for you, believe in me, and follow me with your whole heart. If we do that this morning, it says in the Bible that we're saved. And so I want to give you that opportunity. And the way I'm going to ask you to do that this morning is go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. Because the reason I ask you to do that is just so you don't feel pressure from anybody. I want this to be a decision between you and the Lord this morning. And if you want to make Jesus God of your life, if you want to give him yourself, And accept that free gift this morning. I want to allow you to do that. I'm just going to have you raise your hand when I count to three. I'm going to say, one, two, three, raise your hand. And then when you do that, I'm going to have you raise your hand. And then we're just going to all pray together so it's not awkward for you to have to pray by yourself. Or I'm not going to ask you to come down front. But let's do that this morning. If you want to accept Jesus and accept his free gift at this time for your salvation, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Yeah, hands going up. Thank you. Hands, thank you. All right. you can put your hands down I'm going to have everybody not just those who, who raise your hand keep your heads bowed, eyes closed I want you to join with me in this prayer this morning repeat after me Jesus I accept your gift this morning I thank you for dying for me I believe in you I'm ready to follow you with my whole heart forgive me my sin cleanse me make me new and give me the power to follow you Jesus I want to thank you for each and every person God especially those that raised their hand this morning God they have chosen to have the best Christmas ever by having maybe their first Christmas ever with you Jesus and so Father God especially for those who have never made that commitment this morning I thank you for them I thank you God that they're angels in heaven celebrating that decision this morning and God I pray Lord Jesus that you would give them the very best Christmas that your peace would come upon them in ways that they've never experienced before And God, that you'll make them brand new and give them a a whole fresh new perspective. Lord, for for the rest of us, God, that are in this place, I pray that you'd help us to see you this Christmas. God, not to get caught up in the circumstances, Lord, even though this may not be the place that we imagined ourselves a year ago, not to get caught up in thinking about those things and let those things rule our heart, but God, to remember who you are. God, to listen and obey you. God, to, to let your praise be on our lips so that our faith can be big and our circumstances small. And God, to be in that place where we're ready to be generous and give the way that you want us to give. Heavenly Father, you have given us some amazing people in your word to learn from. I pray you'd help us to learn from them. God, I pray that you'd send us out from this place with joy in our hearts and joy in our lips. God, to be joy in a world that desperately needs the joy and love of Jesus. So God, every conversation that we have this week with people who don't know you, and every person that we run into, God, who doesn't know you, I pray, Jesus, that we would be so full of your Holy Spirit, we would bubble over with joy and bubble over with peace and bubble over with the things that they're looking for so they'd be so attracted to us that they couldn't help but ask the question, what do you have that makes you like this? And we'll be ready to answer. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. I pray, God, as we go up from this place, we'll be blessed and we'll be ready to have the best Christmas ever. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. You guys are amazing. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.